This is Illinois in Focus. For the Center Square, I'm Cole Lauterbach. Coming up, we'll look ahead to Governor Pritzker's announcement that state-mandated shutdowns will likely extend further into summer. The economic fallout of so many unemployed Illinoisans, some local governments defying state shutdown mandates, and get commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. But first, here's some of the top stories from the past week. There's not just the health toll COVID-19 is having on the economy. There's also damage being done and in Illinois. A legislative leader says the governor's lack of focus on such impacts is a major flaw. Greg Bishop has more. From the general health and well-being of families to lost educational opportunities for children, medical procedures put off, and other problems, Governor J.B. Pritzker acknowledged the toll. These are all some of the damages that are being caused by coronavirus. There's no doubt about it. But when asked if he has asked for analysis of the overall impacts of the stay-at-home order he issued in March, he said he hasn't. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said that's a problem. The administration and Democrat leadership of this state have completely forgot about the human toll that has occurred because of unemployment. People who have had for the first time, they've lost their jobs. It was announced Thursday nearly 75,000 Illinoisans filed for unemployment. State officials say since March 1st, Illinois has processed over 1 million claims for a total of $2 billion. I'm Greg Bishop. Governor J.B. Pritzker upped the ante against the wave of counties and communities that plan to open for business before the stay-at-home order expires. Kevin Bessler reports. During his daily briefing Wednesday, the governor said any Illinois county that opens early can kiss any disaster funding goodbye. Counties that try to reopen in defiance may not be reimbursed by FEMA for damages they cause because they ignored the law. Pritzker then took aim at small businesses, saying any business with a state license of any kind will pay the consequences. Businesses and individual professionals that are licensed by state agencies will be held accountable for breaching public health orders. So far, Madison, Adams, and Woodford County businesses have opened, with more likely to follow. I'm Kevin Bessler. After being off since early March because of COVID-19 concerns, the Illinois legislature is heading back to Springfield next week. And one lawmaker says it's expected to be, quote, quite the rodeo. Greg Bishop has more. Springfield Republican State Representative Tim Butler said he's glad lawmakers are heading back to the Capitol and take up the people's business, but it's going to be a logistical challenge to maintain social distancing. This will be a new way of doing business, obviously, at the Bank of Springfield Center. Uh, Still to be seen how everything rolls out, but uh, a different setup indeed that will probably make the process a little more uh, clunky. Democratic Chicago State Representative Mike Zaleski said lawmakers are being asked to take a pledge which includes promising to wear masks and practice social distancing while in Springfield. They're also asked to take a COVID-19 test before arriving. We're also being asked to be tested after we get back from Springfield and um, and social distance for seven days after that. So uh, this is, this is going to be a, a, quite the rodeo. I'm Greg Bishop. Members of Wisconsin's Republican legislature are asking the state's congressional delegation to oppose federal coronavirus relief money to help bail out their neighbors to the South. Kevin Bessler has this story. The letter, signed by 43 GOP lawmakers, says that Illinois has spent decades spending and borrowing recklessly. 
State Representative Barbara Dietrich signed the letter. Wisconsin has worked really, really hard to get their fiscal house in order. And because of that, our constituents should not be forced to bail out states like Illinois who have not been fiscally responsible. Dietrich says the COVID-19 pandemic is enough for her state to deal with. Our constituents here in Wisconsin will have enough financial troubles in the COVID-19 crisis to deal with without also bailing out Illinois citizens. The letter references Illinois' $138 billion public employee pension debt. I'm Kevin Bessler. As data begins to indicate some regions of Governor J.B. Pritzker's plan to reopen parts of the economy in phases may advance to phase three by the end of the month, one region may not. Greg Bishop has more. Pritzker Monday said the data so far with nearly two weeks into the month looks good. Thus far, all of our regions are on pace to hit all of the metrics for moving forward after the 28-day period, with possibly one exception. He said the Northeast region, which includes Chicago, Cook County, and some Collar County areas, isn't below the threshold. State Representative David Welter said Grundy County, with around 50,000 residents, was improperly lumped in with the Northeast region. He wants the governor to change that. All politics are local. And if he's unwilling to listen to us and partner with us, yeah, it's a mutiny. They're going to have people not, they've already announced in certain areas they're not going to be enforcing his orders. Uh, But on top of that, you're going to have businesses then reopening and not following much of any guidelines. And that, that is very worrisome. I'm Greg Bishop. Governor J.B. Pritzker has moved the timeline for the expected peak in COVID-19 cases in Illinois. Kevin Bessler has more. During his daily briefing from his Chicago home after a staffer tested positive for the coronavirus, Pritzker said the peak is still weeks away. Compared to the forecasts that I shared with you on April 23rd, which predicted peaking between late April and early May, that time frame of plateauing near a peak has been expanded from mid-May into mid-June. In many ways, this news is disheartening. The Illinois Department of Public Health reported 1,266 new coronavirus cases, a second straight day with a total far below 2,000. There were also 54 additional deaths, raising the total to 3,459 in the state. I'm Kevin Bessler. Drive-in theaters in Illinois were allowed to open over the weekend. Kevin Bessler has more on this story. There are currently only 10 drive-ins left in the state. Originally under J.B. Pritzker's stay-at-home order, the facilities were not allowed to operate. Ben Haroon, general manager at the Harvest Moon Drive-In in Gibson City, says that is when they went into action. Us and a coalition of the other nine drive-ins in the state of Illinois sent several um, emails and letters to a variety of state legislators. Who then contacted the governor and an exception was made. Mindy Pastrovich, the owner of the Skyview Drive-In in Litchfield, says there will be changes. We are using a order window and an order door instead of having people in and out of the snack bar. That protects our staff members and our clients. She adds that customers will have to watch the movie from inside their vehicles until the order is lifted. I'm Kevin Bessler. Those are the top stories of the week. You can find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus. I'm Cole Lauterbach.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois, joined by my good friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb, our executive editor. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing well today. Tea time's uh, Sunday, but it's looking like it's going to get washed out. Sorry to hear that. So a little disappointed. Sorry to hear that. You know, I, I was not to go off on a tangent right off the jump, but I, I thought that the governor's rule with regard to golf was that you had to walk unless you had some sort of a disability. You couldn't put two people in a cart. You could put two people in a boat, but you can't put two people in a golf cart. Uh, I drive past golf courses every once in a while while I'm, you know, just sort of out. Of course, Dan, doing a essential travel. You know, not it's not it's not non-essential travel. It's essential. Central. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it seems to me like there are a lot of people that are already out there uh, riding around on golf carts and stuff. And, um, you know, it kind of comes back to the whole idea of, you know, these these rules that are being put into place uh, as part of the executive order. Um, you know, I don't know. Not super enforceable, not super um, applicable, I think, in the eyes of a, a fair number of folks. Well, I'm I'm prepared to walk, but I'd welcome a, a, a I certainly welcome a golf cart if if it becomes available. I I don't know how I'm going to be able to swing my club with two hand two hands when one of them's got a beer in it. Uh, that's my concern. I mean, if you're smoking a cigar and drinking a beer and walking the golf course, my goodness. I mean, what kind that's of tough. an athlete do you need to be to do that? That's that's tough. You know. So let's talk about the stay-at-home orders. Where are we? I mean, we are taping this. Uh, on Thursday, May 14th, 2020, um, I've lost count of the absurd date of what this actually is because this would be really like something in the, in the order of like March 75th, I think, um, for those who sort of calendars haven't been flipping. Um, where are we with stay-at-home orders in Illinois? Well, the governor's uh, stay-at-home order is still in effect till the uh, end of this month, but that doesn't mean a number of localities aren't going rogue. Several counties have already said they're going to uh, defy the governor's orders and allow businesses to open up without enforcing uh, that. Um, governor Pritzker doubled down this week on his threat to withhold uh, federal funding to any local uh, jurisdictions that do defy his order. Of course, there's a, a number of lawsuits challenging uh, the constitutionality of his extension uh, of the stay-at-home order, uh, and those are working their way through the court systems. So I think these next several days, the next week or two, will be telling. Um, both one, on is, is Governor Pritzker actually back up his threats to, to local governments who allow local businesses uh, to reopen? Um, and two, what's going to happen in, in the court system with, uh, with with these lawsuits? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's, that's the real question. I mean, and obviously, you know, it's like this is very sensitive stuff, right? And the last thing that I, I want to do is to, to say anything incendiary, right? I mean, you know, I, I think people need to just be aware of the fact that, that – um, that these executive orders are in place. I mean, just for their own, certainly for their own awareness, right? I mean, everybody makes, I think, ultimately their own decisions. You see it even when you are following orders, like, you know, going to the grocery store, the social distancing thing, people wearing masks, not wearing masks, you know, stores not enforcing masks, are enforcing masks, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. But 
they're talking about this about involving the state police in this and we relative to the size of the state 12.7 million people we have a, a a a small state police force because we have so many layers of government you know within the state of illinois that you know that there are I mean, they're literally, they're village police, there are city police, there are county sheriffs. Um, how in the world uh, is this going to work out? And uh, I, I, just give me a hot take on that. I'm interested. Well, in, in, personally, I don't see it. Um, if, if, if Pritzker does go into one of these counties, Madison, Adams, Woodford, or the three counties that have already you know, publicly said they're not following the governor's stay-at-home orders, um, if, if he does send throngs of state police into those counties and starts citing or even arresting business owners or business operators who um, who opened despite uh, the governor's uh, stay-at-home orders, that, that's going to cause a whole lot of problems. I, I just, one, I don't think he backs it up. I think he's all talk right now. But two, if he does try and back it up, um, boy, is all hell going to break loose. Yeah, I, 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 agree. I agree with that. And to be honest with you, it's kind of scary to me. I mean, the idea of pulling people out of churches um oh, taking people out of restaurants um you know it's just uh i think we've we we would we would enter a police state at that point I, which is which is would be outrageous and citizens would revolt even even more so than they are right now and tensions are high i mean i mean i think that that if there's if there's nothing else that you could say about what's going on right now people who have been compliant you know who have stayed home from work who've watched their businesses, you know, dwindle into something less than what they were, some to a, a, a dangerous uh, degree of, of solvency. Uh, and I think just people in general who are not being paid to stay home. There's some angst out there. There's some fatigue. There's certainly a, a, a fair amount of dissent and skepticism. I am very, very concerned about the state of Illinois in particular in the next couple of weeks. Cause I just don't feel like the governor and the governor's argument has been entirely compelling to people who aren't in the Chicago metropolitan area to the degree that you've got state rep, Darren Bailey doing what, what, what he's doing. You have state rep John Cabello up in, in, um, uh, in Northern Illinois doing what he's doing. You have independent business owners that are just, fit to be tied because they're, they're watching their investments, their life's work uh, be ground in, into the dirt uh, by, you know, sort of uh, behind the curtain science is the way that I think that they're looking at it because this, it's, this is really not so much about science as it is about the modeling of science at this point. And uh, short on details, long on threats, you know, we're going to arrest you if you go and do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I just don't like where this is headed. In in the eight weeks since we've been under these stay-at-home orders, a full one million Illinois residents, Illinois workers, have filed for unemployment claims. These folks who were providing for their families, you know, earning a living to pay mortgages, to pay for food, uh, to pay utilities, etc., are out of work now because of these stay-at-home orders that are that are are being as as you said. Um, is effective for the entire state, even though the levels of the effect of COVID-19 differ significantly between Chicago and outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, of course, there's going to be angst. How are the, you know, some of these, particularly these restaurants and some of these, some of these other small businesses, it's now been eight weeks 
many of them probably aren't going to be able to reopen. These pe- these jobs won't be there whenever we do get on the other side of this thing. Um, pe- people are intelligent. People are smart. I, I know you hear pockets of uh, 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 stories here and there about folks going into you know, Walmart or wherever and refusing to wear a mask and, and trouble happening. Every time I go out, I don't see a problem. People are following social distancing guidelines. People mm-hmm. are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, Most. It, I'd say most, the vast majority are, especially in the last, you know, week to 10 days, you know, where yes. the mask rule has been laid in. I think that went into effect somewhere around, what, May, was it May 4th, 5th, 6th, something like that? Something like that. But I've seen zero conflict out there. The governor needs to let people live their lives and earn a living. Yeah. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that hasn't been happening. But as, as we said, I think this next week or so is going to be telling um, uh, when we you do have these counties who are uh, uh, refusing to, to follow the, the governor's orders, and you do have these lawsuits that are going to be working their way through the courts. Yeah. So, I mean, staying in this general theme of COVID-19 and, you know, because it really is sort of wrapped around our, our entire lives at, at this point. The um, the Center Square, uh, not only in Illinois, but I mean, you know, it's a it's a national newswire service, and you've been um, writing stories. Your group has been writing stories about um, nursing home and um, uh, conjugate care settings. Um, what is the data looking like there? I mean, you know, in Illinois, that number. And this is really the number of COVID-related fatalities, which is a whole different bag of of worms, right? I mean, it, there's been discussions about what counts as a COVID death. You know, are we tabulating the deaths correctly? Uh, Dr. Uh, Zike uh, this week said that uh, the state is going to try to go back and to correct the record. You know, and her examples were if somebody, you know, was tested as being uh, COVID positive and died as a consequence of a an automobile uh, crash or or a homicide, she even said that that they may be included in in the in the numbers of, of COVID in the rollup, but um, the nursing home numbers are startling. I mean, and and account for a a huge portion of the fatalities and a, and a huge portion of the outbreaks that. Um, that also requires a little bit of definition. I mean, the state of Illinois has said that an outbreak is technically any one place that's had more than two people, right. uh, you know, tested positive. But certainly the numbers that we're seeing around the state, you know, you, you've got multiple people in, in these nursing care facilities, staff and um, clients, patients. Um, yes. Yeah, give, give me some detail on this. What, what do we need to talk about here? Well, so the, the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, which is a Texas-based um, uh, nonprofit, uh, gathered um, death, uh, COVID-19 death statistics from across the country um, and found that more than 40% of COVID deaths um, nationally are in uh, occurred in nursing homes or assisted uh, living living facilities. Um, in some states, in, uh, well, let's just take Illinois, they found in Illinois it was at 44%, so a little bit higher than um, the, the national average. In some states, um, Washington, the state of Washington, of course, where they had that one nursing home uh, where the first really massive outbreak occurred, it was mm-hmm. more than 61% uh, mm-hmm. uh, of deaths happened mm-hmm. um, in nursing homes. Now, what percentage of the population is actually in, in nursing homes? You know, it's, it's fewer than 1% of the population. 
So obviously, the vast majority of people who aren't in, in nursing homes are not uh, dying from COVID-19. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's sort of like, we have enough data now to start to make sense of what's going on. And, and that should be, uh, that data should be applicable to the decisions that are being made, not just in Illinois, but, but around the country. And uh, I mean, heck, here in, in McHenry County, you know, where you and I live, Dan, um, there have been a relatively small number of COVID deaths. There's 335,000 people that live in McHenry County for perspective. And I think that the, the death total in McHenry County is somewhere in the neighborhood of like, I don't know, 40. I mean, and, and you know, not to diminish the, the fact that 40 people have lost their lives to this, but I think it's something like 32 of them were living in nursing homes. So it's like eight, in our county, it's 80%. And this, this, part of the of the of the greater chicago region um you know it is a collar county i mean it does have some connectivity with chicago but it's 45 miles away i mean my house is 45 miles away from downtown it's being pulled into that that group of of uh counties within this four region approach that the state's taking that's not going to turn life back on yet 80 percent of the of the fatalities that we've had here you know, which is the ultimate, you know, I mean, sort of should be the ultimate measure, right? I mean, with regard to the, the, the stats that matter, the stats that keep being put in front of people, you know, this kills people, right? I mean, that's what J.B. Pritzker has said. I want to keep people safe. I get that. But I mean, if 80% of these deaths are occurring in a nursing home in McHenry County, why in the world is McHenry County shut down? Why is it being considered like some of the other counties where you know, the, 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 the numbers are, 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 are less consequential. Right. What should be being done is taking steps to make sure there's 100% testing um, in nursing homes. So when there is a positive test, you can isolate and treat. Yeah, it calls into question these, these, these stay-at-home restrictions on the, the rest of the population um, who aren't dying, um, who are dying in far fewer uh, numbers than the folks uh, who are vulnerable and who have pre-existing conditions and are in nursing homes. So um, the legislature is headed back uh, to the job next week and um, uh, should be in session, but they're doing, they're doing some things differently. Like for example, there was a concern about the facility itself, the, the, that the state house, that the Capitol building wasn't suitable under the conditions that, uh, that the state you know, needs the legislature to operate uh, and to do so safely with COVID-19. So unlike a lot of other states, which now I don't believe that I'm aware of any other state legislature that's not operating in its own building. I mean, I'm just not aware of it. That could be the case, but I I don't believe yeah, that. that I'm I, not either. I haven't heard that anywhere else. But they're going to put it into the, um, the convention center in Springfield and as we're trying to make sense of sort of what this is going to look like, it doesn't sound like there's going to be terrific uh, media access. It doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of transparency, um, whether it's just, you know, even access to a live feed discussion. And it's 2020. I mean, you could mic up a football player on Monday Night Football, have him run around in a stadium of 80,000 people and get tackled, you know, by a 300-pound guy. And you can have audio and video that are that are that are pretty good. Our state's 
it sounds as if that they're not even going to attempt to do something like that. Um, so, A, talk to me about what's coming up this week with regard to the legislature. And, uh, and, and, and also, please, uh, you know, give us some sense of what the backdrop's going to look like. Yeah, of course, that transparency is going to be a big concern. It should be a big concern for all taxpayers in um, Illinois, as it should in during normal times. But now, um, so the House is going to return um, next week, Wednesday, um, and they're going to operate at least initially out of the Bank of Springfield Center, also known as the convention. We're being told there's, there's going to be one camera access um, and that the audio um, isn't going to be great. How are taxpayers, how are, how's the media going to be able to, well, one, they're operating in two separate buildings. So it's not like you can go from the House floor to the Senate floor and back to the House floor to cover what's going on. You'd have to actually physically relocate to a new building to cover the Senate, which is going to operate um, out of the Capitol um, building. Two, if they're not if they're not providing public access uh, via you know, uh, webcast, audio, um, or, or whatever, how are taxpayers going to know what the hell they're doing? That's on top of the fact that they haven't met publicly um, in more than six weeks, and we're hearing that a, a number of working dupes, of course, Democrats are in the majority in both chambers, have been working behind closed doors, working on a, working on things like uh, a state budget that we now know is um, uh, can see significantly less revenue because of these stay-at-home orders that shut down uh, non-essential businesses and led to a million people in the state being laid off in eight weeks. Uh, so there's no doubt we're going to be concerned about it. We're looking into what our options are, um, and we're going to do. Uh, we'll do our best uh, to provide our readers and, of course, our listeners on the Illinois Radio Network and, and the podcast uh, the best information we can about what lawmakers are going to be be doing starting next week. Now, I, I I really hope that the Illinois Press Association, the Illinois Association of Broadcasters, step up on this one. I really do. I mean, you know, this is we are at a, a historic moment i mean for this state you know the the budget gap i mean you know it's it's a moving target right i mean every day that the state remains you know shut down uh means fewer uh, dollars coming into the economy um longer term damage being created uh with regard to um you know people's uh people's ability to work so um you know, it really does matter. I mean, it it really does matter. I mean, whether you know you're looking at this, you know, as a as a fiscal conservative, or if you're looking at this as a as you know as the most fiscally conservative person, or the most socially liberal person. I mean, regardless of sort of where you identify yourself in the spectrum, this is going to have ramifications that are just mind blowing for many many years to come because you're going to have to pay for all the stuff that is not being funded by that flow of money through, you know, our state's economy. And with, I mean, a, with, with a million people out of work, income taxes are going to free fall. Yeah. Uh, people aren't paying, you don't pay income when you're not earning income, right? Or you don't pay income taxes when you're not earning income, right? That should be terrifying. I mean, if you think about it this way, if there's like, I think that the number that I saw, you know, Illinois is a state of 12.7 million people. Now, it's not 12.7 million adults. It's not 12.7 million, you know, children under 18. It's 12.7 million people total. And I think that the employment number in Illinois is something like 4.4, 4.5 million people will work. 
um, and you know, and and they're the, the people that are driving you know the vast majority of the of the you know of the revenue that goes into the state through the work that they do, the things that they buy, the the things that they license, you know, the red light cameras that they blow through, <laughs> you know, I mean, all, all, every one of these things, every dollar that comes out, out of that, that group of people goes back into the state and then gets spent. However, it gets spent. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out that part of this. Um, one out of every four of those dollars, let's just say, because we don't know just yet. I mean, we don't know the, the actual impact, you know, as it cuts across economic stratus. But let's just say you took one out of every four dollars out for three months or more and that you don't have the ability to replace these million people who have lost jobs. Because I think that that's something you talked about this earlier. I think that there's this fairyland idea that every business that went into this thing is going to come out of this thing unscathed or is just going to kind of restart and it's we're just going to flip the switch and be back to business as usual in the state and there's just no way that's going to happen well sadly sadly i agree with you um uh, and 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 we won't know really until we get on the other side of this thing. But um, you you do hear stories of of restaurants, uh, restaurant owners, longtime restaurant owners, have making the decision that it, it it's not going to be worth it for them. So they're shutting, uh, they're shutting down for good. Um, who knows about these mom and pops in downtowns across the state? You know the small businesses that are that have maybe ten. 20 employees total that op operate on the thinnest of margins already yep. um, and don't have the capital uh, to, to keep running. It's, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it's just going to be simpler to just to, to pack it up. I mean, just to pack it up, you know, I mean, we're done. I mean, if you're close to retirement and you've made, you know, as an independent business operator, you've made enough money um, or, you, you know, you have the ability to, to just say, yep, I'm good. I think that there's going to be a fair number of people who do that. I've talked to business owners who've said specifically, this has brought me closer to my business than I've ever been before. I mean, because I'm actually having to work in the business rather than work on the business. So business owners, successful business owners typically should be working on their business, but staying, keeping a hand in their business. In the days of COVID, those who have been able to, to stay open and operate have been forced to work very, very much in their business. And I think the consequence of that is they're seeing now where they don't need as many people to do the things that they've been doing, that they're, they're going to be able to create efficiencies and they're not going to be able to bring everybody back or, or keep them. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about that. I really am. I mean, I think that there's this, this dreamscape place that some folks are thinking about with regard to Illinois coming back around and everything being perfectly normal. Uh, in in a matter of time, I don't I I I do not mean to be a doomsday sayer, you know, or a doom prophet or anything like that. I'm an optimist, and people know me believe that. Um, well, it's just it's the reality. I, 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 I just don't see it any other way. You're not bringing revenue in for two months. Is it going to be three months? Is it going to be four months? You can't pay people. You can't continue to operate uh, your business. It, it's just a reality. Sadly, I agree with you, and it's the reality. You know, it's part of life coming uh, back to normal. And uh, we're going to go to the bullpen here and, and bring in uh, John Spataro, um, very multi-talented producer and uh, contributor to the network. He and Jason Gotch 
uh, produce uh, Jason Gotch being our sports director, produced the State Lines program, which is a sports gaming show um, that I'm lo- very much looking forward to coming back online this fall. And you'll be able to hear that across the Illinois Radio Network. Uh, to talk about the future of sports, John, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for bringing me back on. It's always a pleasure to, to get to talk to you guys. Um, so for the sports uh, outlook in the country, I'll focus on uh, two good states and two bad states and two different approaches to this whole thing. So this week alone, we heard from two governors in two states um, that seem to be moving forward with reopening themselves, Florida and Arizona. So in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey um, announced this week that his stay-at-home order, which I believe is set to expire tomorrow on the 15th, will not be renewed. And the state is expected to open up you know, as scheduled and, uh, and everything will somehow get back to normal. Uh, in in the coming weeks. There are some phases involved and there are some delayed openings. However, uh, he did openly invite and announce that uh, professional sports are welcome in the state of Arizona. There will not be any crowds, uh, but he was essentially making a pitch to the leagues that uh, if you want to come and play here, we are ready to hear proposals to how we can get maybe half your teams to play in our state or all of your teams to play in your state. And that's similar to what's going on in Florida. Ron DeSantis, um, the governor of Florida, also announced that he would um, even take it a step further. And he had a press conference yesterday or the day before where he said, if you are a sports team in a state that is not allowing you to play, you can come and relocate to Florida and we will house you, we will find a place for you to play. And I believe that that is a direct response to Governor Gavin Newsom and uh, some of the the politicians in and around Los Angeles and California who have announced that they don't foresee opening up uh, possibly until 2022 in some of their projections. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of questions about, you know, LA alone has two football teams now, two baseball teams, two basketball teams. They have a plethora of professional and college sports. And when you hear something like that from your leadership with really no uh, end in sight or or no suggestion that you will be able to perform your work, which in this case is playing a game and, and participating in professional sports, uh, to have another governor from literally across the country in Florida inviting you over um, really shows the stark contrast between how, how states are handling this. Now, I, I would be remiss not to uh, bring up that our governor here in Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, got involved in this conversation this week, but for a completely different reason. Yeah, how, that, guys, how, how did that go for him, John? It it, it did not go well, <laughs> and I will say that I was I, I had to reread the quote. I, I saw it on Twitter. I reread it like 15 times to make sure I was understanding what he was actually saying, and the quote I'm referring to was he was asked about the Major League Baseball Players Union disagreeing with ownership about revenue sharing if the league were to come back online. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, a 50-50 split because the season would be, um, you know, cut in half and, and who, who essentially stomachs that cost if they come back online. And Pritzker called out the players saying that they were being essentially greedy and, and that in this time of need and everybody is sacrificing things, that if they wanted to hold out and not start playing again for more money, he, he, he disagreed with that. And he got a lot of heat from a lot of people, uh, which is surprising that, you know, of all the things that he's announced and everything he said in his press conference, he had to involve MLB players for people to actually kind of listen to what he said and pick it through. And, and he actually issued an apology the day after. 
And, um, you know, that's really the extent of what Pritzker has said in terms of an, uh, an on-ramp to get people playing here in the state of, of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, Lori Lightfoot as well has, has been very noncommittal. She said some things about, I don't know if Chicago is going to be ready for big crowds in July, but my opinion and seemingly the opinion of governors like Ron DeSantis and Doug Ducey and other places around the country are, we're not even really concerned about the fans at the moment. Let's just get teams playing. And um, if you remember, I think four or five weeks ago, I even brought this up um, as a suggestion for any state that was looking to bolster their economy, just bringing a professional sports team into your town or into your state. Think about the economic impact of that. They have to stay at a hotel. They have Mm -hmm. to take transportation to and from the game. They have to eat. They Mm -hmm. have to they have to do all these things. And if you look at what's happening in Florida, they have enough stadiums down there because it seems like they have you know, bowl games and college football stadiums and pro stadiums, they could house a good percentage of the league. And that alone could help them get back on their feet and and kind of beat some of these economic effects. Meanwhile, in other states like here, with no clear-cut path, I I wouldn't even consider Illinois if I was the NBA or the NFL or the MLB, because there's just no suggestion that the state would be interested in in housing anybody so let me just like rapid fire let's go through this nba will there be a continuance of this season yes or no i would think so yes um, because the players have come out in support i I think 10 of the top 15 players if you will you know the lebron james chris paul james Uh harden all those guys they have said that they want to come back and play so i think if the players are pushing forward like that i think Uh there's a good chance they'll get back on the court nhl hockey NHL, I think, would be uh, a distant uh, competitor there. I, I don't know if the appetite is necessarily at the same level of MLB and NBA and NFL. I'm sorry for all the NHL fans out there. Uh, and that's also a, a bigger international sport. You'd have to get Canada to agree uh, to some of those rules. And, and although there's only you know one Canadian MLB team and one Canadian basketball team, I think that makes enough of a difference when you have – 30% of the league's hockey teams in Canada, that would be a little bit more of an international deal. I, I'm not as optimistic that they'll get back on the ice this year. How about the NFL? I think the NFL will play on the moon if they have to. I, I don't see any way that they do not have some product on the field. You know, the, the old saying, protect the shield. The NFL is the NFL, and, and it will always be the premier sports league. So I do not uh, do not see any way that they do not get on the field now. The most imminent start, of course, would be Major League Baseball. And you, you made allusion to it. But d- does the season start? If they do play baseball, where do you think they're going to play? Um, are they going to get a deal done? How, how much time do they have to get a deal done to really play this, uh, this 82-game um, season concept through? So the 82-game season, I believe, would start in July is what they were looking at. So they have a couple weeks here to get something done. But I am increasingly pessimistic on the ability to get that deal done. Uh, just this morning, a news broke of a, of a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, Blake Snell, yep. which this is the world that we live in now. He was gaming on Twitch. He was playing video games live on the Internet and essentially went out a rant about how if he took 50% of his salary plus the 30% that would be taken out for the revenue share plus taxes and agent fees, he would end up making, um, you know, what would be a lot of money to you and me, but probably not enough money for him to justify getting back on the field. So I think that that's a big impact on the players' decision makings. The MLB Players Union may be the premier uh, union in in the country and possibly and, and definitely in sports. They seem to never cower and they always seem to get what they want. 
So despite there being a pretty clear path for them to play, because like I mentioned, Arizona and Florida are now inviting sports teams. That just happens to be where every team in the MLB has a spring training stadium in one of those two states. Mm -hmm. They could get back and running. It seems like that that path is clear. But now that we're talking about money and deals and um, it, it's almost like a mini strike situation. And, mm -hmm. when, and when that gets involved, um, I'm not as as excited for a deal to be reached. Um, it could happen, but there would have to be a lot of concessions or there'd have to be a lot of, of revenue found out of nowhere to, well, to make up for but, some of this loss. If the individual players don't want to play, I mean, they shouldn't they shouldn't be forced to play. They, they don't have to play. You don't have to. I mean, I mean, really, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. I, I would think that they would be at, in these times that there'd be a willingness to give somebody, uh, you know, like Blake Snell or anybody else that has concerns about their health. And I mean, they're you know, Major League Baseball, maybe more so than other sports. I mean, there there are people that have you know known comorbidities. I mean, you know, there are there was a, a kid I, I saw in that's in the upcoming draft whose uh, draft stock actually was uh, being reduced somewhat because there'd be almost no likelihood that the kid could play this year. And this is somebody who's a high school player because he is diabetic. And uh, so he wouldn't be able to, in all likelihood, play under any conditions this year. Um, but, I mean, okay. I'm not sure that, the, that, the, that all the sport has to stop or be stopped because of those conditions. If you don't feel well enough to, to to play, and you have a circumstance that's you know beyond your ability to uh, ensure that you're safer or or as safe as everybody else on the field, then sit out. Right. If you, if you don't want to play because you don't feel like it's a good, you know, I mean, major league pitchers only have so many so much tread on the tire. You don't want to pitch this season. Don't pitch this season. Does it essentially take a, a majority union vote uh, for major league baseball to accept the uh, the owner's offer with the uh, the revenue share? I would guess so. I, I would guess, um, you know, like anything, the union will be presented with some sort of revenue sharing plan. It seems like they already have been and, and are arguing against yeah. it. So there may be, you know, negotiations happening as we speak. And, and, and there could be a, a, a goal that they're looking to reach. Maybe it's a percentage amount or maybe it's a deferred payment, you know, when the league comes back. I, I think that they have a little bit to figure out uh, based on where the location is going to be because, um, Florida, again, is even taking it a step further to allow some fans into buildings. And I think that's huge because baseball teams need people in the stands to sell programs and hot dogs and beers. And if, if that's starting to come up, maybe by July we'll see Florida be operating event venues at 50% 50 capacity. Well, that would be revenue that they're not necessarily talking about right now because it seems like the plan would be to play all these games without fans. So if that happens, yes, there's now a, a big new influx of, of revenue there for them to split or figure out where that's going to go. Um, something that's interesting about the state of Florida specifically, too, Chris, you were saying about, you know, what happens if somebody gets sick or if you have a comorbidity. Well, there is a little bit of a trailblazing going on with the WWE and professional wrestling and the UFC. Right. They're both they're both doing events in Florida. And there was a UFC event last Saturday where a man, a fighter was pulled off the card because he tested positive for COVID mm -hmm. and he was sequestered or quarantined, whatever you want to call it. And the event went on as scheduled. And, you know, now a few days passed, it doesn't seem like they have been deterred from doing events in the future just because one person tested, they were able to get in, in place and, and 
keep him away from the other fighters. And it mm -hmm. doesn't appear that there has been an outbreak on there. So mm -hmm. there every day that something happens, whether it's, um, you know, UFC, WWE, golf is coming back online this month. Yes. NASCAR is scheduled to come back online. Yes. Every day that, that, that those things happen, there's more information, there's more data available about how to get these people in and out, who needs to be in the building or who needs to be at the ballpark. And that is definitely helpful. It's just concerning to me that a league that has had a history of player union disputes with management and ownership and, and MLB just has um, a very contentious relationship at times with their players. It doesn't bode well to me that that is what's being discussed right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I do appreciate you taking the time. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, amongst the many things that, that are out there, you know, um, that are occupying our time and our mind and our thoughts, I mean, um, I have a bias absolutely toward restarting um, not only, you know, um, the economy in general, I mean, in, in a, in a, some kind of thoughtful and, and, and purposeful way, but I, I have a bias absolutely toward getting sports going again. I think we need, we need something to talk about, you know, we need something not to say, take our mind off of this, but it would really be beneficial. I think to America and sport has been such a huge part of life in America to get back some semblance of, uh, of normal. I mean, even to watch a bad baseball game, you know, on a Tuesday night, uh, I think would be better than to watch our 500 of Netflix in that same time slot or whatever it is that we're doing in that, in that space. But, John, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we'll absolutely talk to you soon. Appreciate it. For Dan McCaleb, this is Chris Krug. You've been listening to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment. Now over to Cole Lauterbaugh with a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, Illinois lawmakers are back in session, but half of them won't be in the state capitol. How they'll address transparency so the public is aware of what they're doing. More hearings on legal challenges to Governor J.B. Pritzker's shutdown orders, including a business owner suing Pritzker saying he's, quote, not intimidated by the legal weight of the state in court. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. I'm Cole Lauterbach.